Welcome to part three of our series on David. Um, David, if you're new to the Bible or you're new to Christianity, David was Israel's greatest king and a follower and worshipper of God. And we can read his story in 2 Samuel. I'm going to be looking today at a bit of 2 Samuel and also a whole bunch of Psalms, which he wrote. Um, so this is the start of the final part of our study of David. So far, we've looked in the first part to see what we can learn about God from David's life. And then in the second part, we went on to look at what we can learn about Jesus from David's life. And now I'm starting the third part of our series. And we're going to look to see what we can learn about ourselves from David. We have a detailed account of David's life in 2 Samuel and also a bit in Chronicles, and you can read lots, but also you get a real insight into his life from the many Psalms that he wrote as well. And I'm going to be looking particularly this week at David and his life as a worshipper and what we can learn about that. So I'm going to start this morning by um, picking up where Paul actually started last week. If you remember, he gave us this picture of David dancing in his underwear before God. Um, and he was doing that because he was celebrating the fact that the Ark of God, which was basically a box, and this box contained uh, the Ten Commandments and a few other things. But the important thing about it was that where the Ark was, that's where God's presence was. We were worshipping this morning and as Christians we know that God can be with us in his presence and is with us in his presence because his spirit dwells and lives inside of us. But in the Old Testament um, it didn't quite work like that and so when the Ark of God was coming into the city of David, it was actually God's presence coming into that place and we find David exuberantly rejoicing as we pick the story up into Samuel 6. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, or, as Paul said, his pants. Actually, special priestly pants, but pants nevertheless. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And we then read that his wife, Michael, who was the daughter of Saul, the previous king and Israel's first king, um, despised him for doing this. She thought that it was undignified to dance like this before God. But David said, no, my God is a God that is worthy of praise. And if you think that's undignified, I will not stop there, is what he said. And I think um, many of us will enjoy that uh, story and relate to it because at Jubilee, often our style of worship, um, of corporate worship, is that of celebration. We want to celebrate who God is and what he's done for us. And we want to say thank you. And often we will start there in our times of sun worship together. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a place that all of us can relate to. Whether that is some, somewhere where you find yourself naturally starting in praise or whether actually you need to naturally start somewhere else. And we're going to look a bit more at that as we go on this morning. So we know that David was a musician and a worshipper. 
His first royal appointment was as a musician to King Saul um, in the royal court. And we know that he wrote many of the Psalms. Um, when I last preached right at the start of our series on David and I, I talked about the call of David, um, we, find, we found that his skillful playing brought, uh, brought peace to Saul because he was often troubled. He'd actually done some stuff to, to put a, drive a wedge between him and God. And so what happened when David played was that he ushered in God's presence. And so we then see that this is reflected as well in the many, many Psalms that David wrote. And we can see that in the book of Psalms, and in fact, there are five books of Psalms within what we call the book of Psalms now. There are 73 Psalms that are attributed to David and a further two Psalms that the New Testament attributes to him. So who knows, there may be many more that were actually written or influenced by him. It's quite an output, isn't it? Um, it's an amazing list. And I think it's physical evidence of the thing that I have particularly noticed as we've gone on to study David over the last weeks and months. And that is that he lived a life of worship. It wasn't one aspect of his life. We see all of his life expressed in his worship of God, a bit like um, Chris and Claire were saying earlier. Worship was not part of David's life. Rather, his life was worship. The Bible shows us that creation's very existence is an act of worship. David wrote in Psalm 19, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. If God can ordain praise from rocks, as Jesus said and Luke reports in 19, um, uh, chapter 19, verse 40 of Luke's gospel, and the mountains can break forth into singing and trees clap their hands as Isaiah prophesied, and we can read in chapter 55 of his prophecy, then how much more is every one of us um, and every part of us, each one uniquely created by our father in his image, knitted together in his mother, in our mother's womb, as David writes um, in Psalm 139. How much more are each one of us a living act of worship to our glorious creator God? I think this is something that um, David understood. Worship isn't something that we do, it is who we are. As Chris said earlier, it's the way that we live our lives. David writes in Psalm 8, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set into place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God. You crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea and everything that swims the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic! your name is that fills the earth. David raises his hands, he dances, 
he kneels, he prostrates himself. In Psalm 145, he writes, I will exalt you, my God and my King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. He praises, he prays, but he also laments and he mourns. In Psalm 51, David repents after his affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. All of his physical being and all of his mental being are poured out before God as praise and worship. David holds nothing back, but David understands his dependence on God. And so by God's grace, every heartfelt offering is acceptable to God. In Psalm 25, David acknowledges his dependence before the Lord. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. So I wonder what we can learn about ourselves through David. One of the things about heroes is that we can aspire to be like them or we can be utterly daunted by them, which I think is much more my default setting. We might believe that we could never emulate them. And my encouragement to you as we look to see what we can learn about ourselves from David's life is that David never appeared to believe that he was a great man. Instead, he believed he followed a great God. So when we look to learn from David, we're not aspiring to greatness, but instead we're trying to learn from his dependence on a great God. It was John the Baptist who said about Jesus, the Messiah, he must increase and I must decrease. But it is a sentiment often implicit in David's writing. One of the things I find amazing about David is the way that he put his hope in the future salvation that Jesus would bring. So I want to focus now on just one element of living our lives as worship to God. Just one area where we can increase our dependence on him. We all know that we are living in strange and deeply challenging times. I don't know about you, but I'm just weary of enduring through this crisis. And I'm only just realising how difficult I found the last weeks and months. As I've reflected on my own emotional well-being, and also chatted with many of you over the last 100 days. Can you believe it's, in fact, it's more than that now. I think many and possibly all of us have shared the experience of being surprised by the way the current crisis has affected our emotions. God has made us emotional beings. And so I want to finish by looking at how David handled his emotions before God how they helped him to worship and how this can help us to respond in worship to all that life throws at us. So 
we're going to finish off by looking at Psalm 13, which I'm going to read to you now. For the choir director, a Psalm of David. O oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? Oh, how long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O oh Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. There are three things I see in this psalm that help us. Honesty, dependence and perspective. You see, David is honest with the Lord about where he's at. He holds nothing back. His emotions are laid bare before the Lord's throne. How long, how long, how long is David's repeated cry as he struggles to endure? I have struggled to endure. I'm sure many of you have, as our enemy, this virus, um, has just changed the way that we live. And we may well cry with David, where are you, Lord? And relate to his weary cry and feel his pain. But for all the honesty of David's expression of his emotions, he remembers his position before God. David is entirely and utterly dependent upon the Lord. Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. In fact, his cry to the Lord in the first part of the psalm is even more heartfelt because he knows that only God can change his situation. Nothing else is going to answer the how long, how long, how long cry of David, except God himself. You see, what we could read as downcast anger at the start of the psalm actually turns out to be faith. As we see David's dependence upon God to change the situation that he finds himself in. You see, He's bringing his emotions before God, knowing that only God can deal with them. Only God can change them. It's not a rant, but actually surrender. He's surrendering his emotions to God. And as he does so, he moves from a position of how long, how long, how long to one of trusting in God's unfailing love, rejoicing in God's rescue and singing to the Lord because he is good. Many of us will see David's honesty at the start of the psalm wonderfully releasing, but we might also read psalms like this and ask how is the honest expression of David's emotions worshipful? How does this honour God? It becomes worship because David understands his dependence upon God. Only God can change his situation. 
David's understanding of his position before God led him to a place of life-giving perspective change. My situation may appear impossible, but I am loved by God and I will rejoice because God rescues and indeed has rescued me. I will sing because whatever is going on around me and however I am responding emotionally, the Lord is good to me. Almost every psalm that expresses pain, lament and suffering conforms to this pattern of honesty, position and perspective. With one or two exceptions, they always arrive at a place of dependent praise and worship of the Lord. You see, that's what worship does. As we praise God, we understand our place before him. We worship God because he is worthy of praise. But the side effect on us is that when we are honest before God, it puts our lives and situations, both positive and negative, into perspective. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. So I trust in your unfailing love. Reading the Psalms of David will undo you before God. The more we read them, the more we realise that we have nothing of worth to offer God, but that God our Father has everything to give us. That must lead us to a place of praise and worship.